Lesson 4 for October 20 through to 26, The Key to Unity. Sabbath afternoon, October 20. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as individuals, we come to you today to study your word. We're listening as your word is read. We're listening as the words from Professor Denny Fortin from Andrews University have been put together for this series of lessons on unity. And we pray that as one, we may come together and we may not only just be like Jesus, but be his followers and work together to share his love with those around us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us as we study this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Let's read that again, Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Ephesus was a major centre of commerce and influence in Asia Minor. The church there in Ephesus was made up of Jews, Gentiles, and people in all social walks of life. Such a diverse membership might have been as prone to conflicts as the world in which they lived, that is, if it weren't for Christ and the unity they had in him as members of the body of Christ. Thus, Paul's concern for unity among Christ's followers is the central theme of his epistle to the Ephesians. Paul's concept of unity has two dimensions. Unity in the church, where Jews and Gentiles are brought together in one body. Christ and unity in the universe, in which all things in heaven and earth find their ultimate oneness in Christ. The source of this unity is Christ. Paul's expression, in Christ or with Christ, is used numerous times in this epistle in order to show what God has accomplished for us and for the universe through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's ultimate purpose in the plan of salvation is to reunify all things through Christ. This unity will be made fully manifest only at the end of the age. Sunday, October 21, Blessings in Christ. Question, read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. What, according to Paul here, have we been given in Christ? 
Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The followers of Jesus have much to praise God for. In Christ, God has chosen to adopt us as sons and daughters and to represent us to the world. Paul uses many images to describe our new relationship to God in Christ. Of these images, the image of adoption addresses this lesson's theme of oneness. In Christ, we have been adopted and we belong to the family of God. This family image also is a reference to God's covenant with the children of Israel. In the context of Paul's epistle, Gentiles who accept Jesus as the Messiah also are children of God, heirs of the promises he made to Israel. We read about that in Romans chapter 8 verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And Galatians chapter 4 verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The benefit of this relationship with Christ, to be in Christ, is fundamental to all Christian unity. This passage also tells us that it has been God's desire all along to reunite all humanity in Christ. And in God's family, we are all children of God, equally loved and cherished. Some get confused when in this passage we read about predestination in Ephesians 1 verses 5 and 11 earlier. The promise that God has chosen us to be saved seems to imply also that God has chosen some to be lost, but that's not the biblical teaching. Rather, God prepared the plan of salvation before the foundation of the world, in order that everyone might be saved, as it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. And First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6 reads, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God knows beforehand who will accept his offer of salvation, but that is not the same as predetermining one's decision. Salvation is offered to all humanity because of what Christ has done for us. The question is, how do we respond to this offer? God does not use coercion to save anyone. As Ellen White writes in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1114, In the Council of Heaven, provision was made that men, though transgressors, should not perish in their disobedience, but, through faith in Christ as their substitute and surety, might become the elect of God, predestinated in unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God wills that all men should be saved, for ample provision has been made in giving his only begotten Son to pay man's ransom. Those who perish will perish because they refuse to be adopted as children of God through Christ Jesus. End of quote. Monday, October 22, Breaking Down the Wall Some of the deepest divisions among people are caused by differences of race, ethnicity and religion. In many societies, identity cards indicate the ethnicity or religion one belongs to, and these distinctions often are connected with privileges or restrictions that people have to live with on a daily basis. When wars or conflicts arise, these markers of identity and differences often become catalysts for repression and violence. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, Paul indicates a better way for the Christian community. Question, how does our unity in Christ affect our differences? What was broken down by Jesus' death on the cross? Well, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." Paul invites the Ephesians to remember what their lives were like before they received the grace of God in Christ. Ethnic, cultural and religious differences created animosity and conflicts between people groups. But the good news is that, in Christ, we are all one people with a common Saviour and Lord. We all belong to the people of God. Ephesians 2.13 read, But now in Jesus Christ... Or Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The ancient temple in Jerusalem had a wall of separation to distinguish the sections of the temple accessible only to ethnic Jews. This wall had an inscription that forbade foreigners to go any further, under pain of death. It is this regulation that Paul was accused of transgressing when he entered the temple after his missionary journeys. When Paul was arrested, he was charged with bringing into the Jewish section of the temple an Ephesian named Trophimus. We read about that in Acts 21 verse 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. In this epistle, Paul argues that Christ is our peace, who has made both ethnic groups one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Ephesians 2 verse 14. In Christ, believers are descendants of Abraham and receive the circumcision of the heart. The physical circumcision that God gave to Abraham pointed to the spiritual circumcision that believers would receive in Christ, as we read in Deuteronomy 10 verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Colossians 2.11 reads, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so to finish today, read again Ephesians 2, 11-22. In what ways do we see in our own church the reality of what Paul has written here? What challenges remain? Well, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time 
you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Tuesday, October 23, Unity in One Body Paul is practical in his inspired words to the Ephesians. The unity that exists between Jews and Gentiles, between people of different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, is not a myth or simply a theoretical construct. It is a reality that demands us to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, as it says in Ephesians 4 verse 1. Question. According to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through to 3, in what way are Christians to walk worthy of their calling in Christ? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All these attributes are rooted in love, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through to 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
The active practice of love preserves relationships among brothers and sisters and promotes peace and unity in the Christian community and beyond. Unity in the Church manifests God's love in unique ways that others can witness. The Church is called to be such a witness, especially in a time of strife, divisions and wars. Question, read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 6. What is one crucial theme in these three verses? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In the first verse of this chapter, Paul expresses his deep interest in the unity of the church. He begins with an exhortation to unity in verses 1 to 3, and follows with a list of the seven elements that unite believers in these, first, in these three verses we've just read. Unity is simultaneously something that believers already possess, something that must be constantly worked on and maintained, and something that is the future goal toward which we strive, as it says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ellen White writes in Testimonies to the Church, volume 5, page 239, The Apostle exhorts his brethren to manifest in their lives the power of the truth which he had presented to them. By meekness and gentleness, forbearance and love, they were to exemplify the character of Christ and the blessings of his salvation. There is but one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith. As members of the body of Christ, all believers are animated by the same spirit and the same hope. Divisions in the church dishonour the religion of Christ before the world and give occasion to the enemies of truth to justify their course. Paul's instructions were not written alone for the church in his day. God designed that they should be sent down to us. What are we doing to preserve unity in the bonds of peace? And so to finish today, what choices can you make right now in order to be sure that you are walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? Wednesday, October 24. Church Leaders and Unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 reads, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. While salvation is a gift given to all people who will receive it, some spiritual gifts are given to certain people for special purposes. Question, read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. What gifts of leadership does God give to the church? Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Question, 
According to the next verse, Ephesians 4.12, what is God's purpose in giving special gifts of leadership to the church? How do these gifts relate to each other? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All Christians are, in a sense, ministers and servants of God and the gospel. Christ's commission in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20 is given to all Christians to go, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize, and to teach. The work of ministry is not given only to a privileged few, such as pastors and or evangelists, but to all who bear the name of Christ. No one can claim exemption from the work of spreading the gospel, and no church leader can claim to have an exclusive ministry. The spiritual gifts of leadership are specifically to edify the church. Church leaders are needed to foster, promote, and encourage unity. Paul's list of gifts of leadership tells us that these roles also are for equipping God's people to reach the lost. It is the responsibility of some specially called people within the church to help others fulfill their ministry and service for Christ and to edify the body of Christ till, as it says in Ephesians 4.13, we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The example of Jesus' style of leadership must guide how we do ministry. Jesus came to serve others and not to be served, as we read in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We must go and do likewise. There is a strong tendency among humans to be independent and not accountable to anyone. Western society, in particular, is plagued by this inclination. Paul reminds us, however, that no Christian is alone in this world and that we form a community of faith with spiritual leaders to help encourage one another in our common journey. We are, all together, part of the body of Christ. And so to finish today, what spiritual gifts do you have and... How are you using them for the unity of your local church? Thursday, October 25. Human Relationships in Christ Christianity is a religion of relationships, relationship with God and with one another. It makes no sense to claim to have a deep relationship with God without that relationship having an impact on the relationships one has with other people. Christianity cannot be lived in a vacuum. 
the principles of unity, Paul discusses in his epistle to the Ephesians, also are applicable to how we relate to others. Question, read Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. What is Paul saying to us in verse 21? What is the relationship between submission and unity? Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Paul's exhortation to be submitted to one another is connected with the phrase being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. One of the expressions of the infilling of the Spirit is submission to one another. This refers to the proper attitude of humility and thoughtfulness that we should have toward people. Of course, this is not a natural attribute of most personalities but is the result of the Spirit's living in our hearts. It is a gift of the same Spirit, who is the bond of unity in Christ. Viewed from this perspective, submission is an inner quality that expresses our reverence for Christ and His sacrifice for us. Question Read Ephesians 5:22 through to chapter 6 verse 9. What impact on our human relationships does this quality of mutual submission have in the home and workplace of a believer in Christ? Ephesians beginning at chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. To some extent, unity in the church depends upon unity in the home. Paul emphasized that the unity, love and respect that should exist between husband and wife should exemplify the love of Christ toward the church, a self-sacrificing love. Thus, Christ-like respect in the home, as well as in the church, is required of husbands and wives and church members. This Christ-like attitude also is to be exemplified in relationships between children and parents, and between employees and employers, bondservants and masters. The kind of harmony and peacefulness that should pervade our homes should pervade our church life as well. And so, to finish today, what principles can you take from the verses for today that can help you better understand how you should act, depending upon your situation, toward a member of your family or a co-worker? Friday, October 26. Christ recognised no distinction of nationality or rank or creed, Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, pages 190 and 191. She continues, The scribes and Pharisees desired to make a local and a national benefit of all the gifts of heaven and to exclude the rest of God's family in the world. But Christ came to break down every wall of petition. He came to show that his gift of mercy and love is as unconfined as the air, the light, or the showers of rain that refresh the earth. The life of Christ established a religion in which there is no caste, a religion by which Jew and Gentile, free and bond, are linked in a common brotherhood equal before God. No question of policy influenced his movements. He made no difference between neighbours and strangers, friends and enemies. That which appealed to his heart was a soul thirsting for the waters of life. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Reflect on this statement from Ellen White in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1117. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the plan of God is so plainly and simply revealed that all his children may lay hold upon the truth. Here, the means which he has appointed to keep unity in his church, that its members may reveal to the world a healthy religious experience, is plainly declared. End of quote. What do you see in Ephesians 4 that points to the unity of the church? 
What can we do to help ensure that unity? Question 2. So central to the question of unity is the need for humility and submission. Without these traits, how could any unity exist in the church? If we are proud, sure of our views and positions, and unwilling to listen to others, we have no chance of unity. How can we learn this humility and submission? 3. How can we have unity even when we don't always agree on everything? So, to summarise this week's lesson. In his epistle to the Ephesians, Paul gives many counsels regarding what it means for Christians to be in Christ. Salvation in Jesus transforms our lives in practical ways. All our human relationships, including relations between brothers and sisters in the church, are transformed by the power of Christ in our lives. And this transformation is crucial in order for us to have unity. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Female Bomber Baptized and it's by Philip Baptiste who is an assistant to the President in the East Central Africa Division. He writes, Amina is serving a five-year prison sentence in East Central Africa after being arrested as she headed to India to blow up a large facility. But persistent visits by a Seventh-day Adventist pastor resulted in her discarding her fundamentalist understanding of Islam and being baptised into the Adventist church. I just praise God for the Adventist pastor who consistently prayed for me and visited me in my time of great need, Amina said. For her safety, Adventist Mission is not disclosing Amina's full name or her location. Amina was in solitary confinement in an isolated cell because of the nature of her crime when the pastor first came to visit. She had plotted the attack after being taught by fundamental Muslim leaders that she would attain righteousness and live in paradise if she eliminated evil. Initially, Amina rebuffed the pastor whose counselling visits were arranged by the prison warden, but when the pastor kept returning, she relented because the counselling sessions would be held outside her cell and she missed the sunshine. Amina refused the pastor's first request to pray for her. She told the pastor that he should pray for himself instead. The pastor prayed for her anyway and he kept on praying. After a few counselling sessions together, the pastor had to take care of business elsewhere for a few weeks. A minor began to miss the visits. When the pastor did not return as soon as she expected, she started reading a Bible that he had left in her cell. A few months later, the Adventist church organised a camp meeting at the prison, and a minor was invited to attend. A minor agreed to go for the sake of socialising with the other inmates. To her surprise... When the pastor made an altar call, she went up to surrender her life to Jesus. Not long after, she was baptised. Amina said she does not understand how, during the counselling sessions, she lost interest in her former faith. 
She believes that God used her imprisonment to reveal his truth to her, and now she is anxious to reach her friends. When I get out of prison, I will spend all that I have to reach them, she said. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.